as the scripture unfolds there in the 27th chapter of Matthew, darkness comes over the land. And we're going to talk about that this morning and what that means. And this three hours of darkness, it begins simply about 9 o'clock in the morning, 9 a.m. And there, there's this thing, the Romans are punctual about things. They're, they're, they're doing their thing. And man, there's a Savior there. And right there in the middle, there, there's three, as we know, there's three crosses, there's three men. But the one in the middle, the one in the middle that is perfect, the one in the middle that is sinless, the one in the middle that has done nothing but good, his eyes are swollen shut. He's been beat worse than some animal. I mean, it's just it's a terrible sight to behold. His mom is there. Disciples, others have gathered. His, his cousins, his brothers, all these have gathered there to watch Jesus. But now, the sixth hour, about 12 noon, there's a, a reckoning there. There's this time that in the Scripture, there's going to be a darkness, going to, a darkness that will prevail over the land. And it's so different from the first time when Jesus came because you remember the announcement when Jesus came the first time? Literally, the skies lit up. And angelic uh, messengers, the, the light of heaven, the light of life, Jesus had come. But no, not in this scene, friend. Just the opposite. We have light and now we have darkness. And Jesus is born or he's not born here, he's to be crucified in this darkness. And, and it's something, it's not just some little mere darkness. It's a supernatural, cataclysmic kind of event. And when you read the church fathers and other sources, they begin to say that people not only in that community, even some would say that the whole region, the whole world grew dark. It was just absolutely amazing. Tertullian uh, a church father, I remember studying about in seminary, he, he writes to a pagan and he writes to a Roman saying about the darkness which is written about in your annals and uh, archived in your own history until this day. There's something interesting found here. And then Pontius Pilate, he writes to Tiberius Caesar and he tells him simply this, that the darkness was pervasive, hinting somehow that possibly and we don't know for sure, but maybe that darkness was worldwide. It wasn't just on a hill called Golgotha, but it was dark, it was tough. And then if you know anything about Jewish history and the Day of Atonement, there, there's a day called Yom Kippur. And in this, when Jesus goes behind the veil, but in this section, there's darkness and there's divine transaction about to take place. There's the mercy seat of God that God's going to sprinkle his blood. This divine transaction of salvation is going to happen. What a sight, friend. And there's this atonement, but there's this substitution. I like that, substitution. Let me pause for a minute from the story. Do you remember when you were playing ball, maybe when you were young? And maybe you weren't on the A team or first team, and you were called a sub. And they would look down on your part of the bench, and they'd go, you, in. Yes, I could be a substitute. I could substitute from one on the field. Well, this is one that nobody wanted this job. But the son of the living God substitutes his life for my life and your life in this vicarious atonement of shedding of blood. Man, what a sight. Another way to look here, if it's darkness, when we talk about darkness covered the land, darkness is always associated with evil. Darkness is always associated with wickedness, and there's nothing wicked in this Jesus. 
But everything that he's going to take on is wicked and vile and horrible, and it's going to be right there to be on display before the world. And the Jews, in their Talmud, they said that God reserves darkness when he wants to punish someone from an unusual sin. But there was no unusual, there was no sin about him. He was perfect. He was holy. He was God. But what he would take on himself was sin. Your sin. My sin. Horrid separation from holy God. And, and the scripture says that the Heavenly Father turned away and he withdrew his presence and everything grew dark. And you're saying, Pastor, why are you being so graphic this morning? Because I can never run through the gospel story to grace without thinking about the cross and the substitution of his life for mine and yours. Amen? This is darkness, man. This is evil. Man, when you go into a dark house, what's the first thing you do? You're flipping on the light switches. You ever watch these shows sometimes? Don and I kid about this. They got these multi-million dollar movie sets and you're turning, and they always come in with their lights. Why'd you turn on the light? This is kind of funny to me. When I walk in a room, unless my wife is in the room asleep, I turn the lights on. I want to dispel the darkness. And here's darkness in this land. Darkness falls upon the land. And it's just tough. This thick, icky, black darkness. It it falls like a shroud over the land you know we know about the shroud of jesus but here's the shroud of darkness and 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 basically at this point blood kind of freezes man it just kind of curdles inside people no one moves no one speaks there's an eerie i cannot even imagine that day of golgotha what that city must have felt you know how you can have like a a feeling in a in a in a region a section in this section, there was a great feeling. There was a great experience of anguish. The Son of God crucified. And I'm thinking, man, evil, wow, evil, darkness over the land. He's mortally wounded. They focus on the center cross. He, he comes to death's door. But let's look down there. Look at Matthew 27. From the 6th, 45, 27, 45. From the 6th hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. That's what I've been trying to describe to you. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Aramaic. This is very, very difficult to say. I've said it wrong for decades. So I tried to study it this week, and I'll probably still uh, slaughter it. Eli Lama Sabachthani. And you're like, huh? That's what I thought. Okay. But here it is. It's Aramaic for... My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that right there is one of the most troubling verses in the entire scripture. The other night somebody was asking me, he says, man, I don't know what you're going to do with this. This is so hard. This, this verse, let me tell you, it bothers me, it bothers you, but it also bothered a theologian one day named Martin Luther. 
He was so messed up by this verse, he couldn't get it. He studied it. He read it over and over. I read a story that Martin Luther withdrew to seclusion to get away from people, to have more study, to meditate, to understand it. And he finally said this. It was far worse off than before he went into seclusion, though, when he tried to figure it out. I didn't get it. Why would the Father allow the Son to be forsaken? And Martin Luther is a lot smarter than me. All I'm going to tell you is I don't know that I can figure it out either, but i can got some reasons why he was forsaken in this sense. Because as he takes on this sin nature, not nature, but as he takes on this sin, it's payment, as he covers us, and yet God the Father chooses to break fellowship with his son momentarily because of the sin, the weight of the world, of our sin on Jesus. He withdrew. You think about you. Do you withdraw from your kids? Certainly not. Your kid's in need. What do you do, Mom? Dad, what do you do when your kid's... Mama! Daddy! I need you now. Mom! I need some water. Have you ever heard that at your house? But then, when a little kid... You know when there's a squeal? You know when there's a hurt? You know there's, when there's a different cry? Have you heard that cry before? When that cry comes forth, what happens? Man, what does mom and dad do? They go bolting to the scene. Let me tell you what grandparents do. We fly to the scene. Because somebody's hurt. Somebody that we love. Here's the son of God. God forsaken man, black moment of the cross. God forsaking here at this point. Forsaking, it means to abandon, to desert, to disown to turn away from and the father had to do that momentarily because he could not tolerate he could not look on evil he could not look on sin and jesus takes it all heaped upon his life and i'm thinking man that's the sins of humanity the cross let me just get you to write this in the notes the cross is about substitution the cross is about substitution for you and I that I spoke about earlier, but utterly forsake, abandon his own sin. And then I just wrote in here, it, it's the father's chief duty. A father's chief duty is what? Is, is to rescue, is to, to take care of, to provide, to run in, not to have broken re, uh, relationship. And here, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, at, at this juncture, I believe, the Trinity gets disjointed. The Trinity has conflict has chaos not that it's not completely god not that it's separated but it's disjointed in the sense that the father just turns from evil that's why god we don't have fellowship with him when we're in sin because god doesn't look on sin god is holy and god makes payment for sin through the cross and i'm grateful for the cross the father turns away not because abba is mad abba is not angry at jesus certainly not it's just the horrendous sin that he's bearing, that he's taking on. I think the Father turns away over anger over the sin of humanity. The sins have been committed, the sins that will be committed throughout life. He turns away in sorrow and pain, in the ugliness of sin, completely forsaken. Look at, look at this, just a quick uh, quote here from C.S. Lewis. I don't know if you've ever read uh, the Chronicles of Narnia and different things, but Oslin says, Lucy, you're bigger uh, now because you're older. 
wait a minute, I can't even read it on the screen. Let me write it here. Here it is. Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you're older, little one, answered he. Not because you are. I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Oslin here is a representative of who? Who's your representative to in this writing? Christ. And when we grow in grace, when we grow in Christ, Christ gets bigger. And I tell you this story because I need to have greater Easter perspective this season about how great my Savior's love is for me, that he dies for me, that he gives it up, and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let me take a little brief, not detour, but I'm just going to kind of come over here because I'm, I'm, I'm talking gospel narrative, and that's always good. But, but I've been pondering this all week. I get asked this all the time as a pastor, but I've been contemplating one word, three letters, W-H-Y. What does that spell? Why? When's the last time you asked God, Why? today uh-huh i am theologian resident theologian that's scary i should know why i still ask god why in my feeble faith sometimes it's great faith sometimes it's feeble but i want to share some thoughts as i was thinking about this in the middle of our pain we will always ask god why god why did this person have to suffer why did this person die lord why 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 i've got questions you've got questions why do i feel alone sometimes and yet god says i am near you're not alone why do i feel like he's so far away why do i somehow feel abandoned by god when i am not but i just have this feeling and yet god is drawing my heart to worship him i need to remember when i ask the questions why what God's already done for me in Christ. That's a great perspective, isn't it? God, help me to remember what you've already done for me. That death, that giving your life. And Lord, somehow, I ought to give you continual praise for my being. That What did we sing this morning? Ever be? Your praise will ever be on my... Oh, no, no, I don't think you got it. Your praise will ever be on my lips. I love that song ever be on my lips what do you think we're going to do for eternity we're going to magnify the one that is holy the one that has rescued us amen man that's awesome you're like man i want to start doing that now well good come early this morning i don't know what happened many of you got here before 10 o'clock i say bless the lord some of you thought it was easter i don't know it was so refreshing do it next week it's palm sunday and two weeks from now come or you won't have a chair <laughs> that's funny okay here it is that was a wicked laugh, sorry. Unrecognizable love of Christ. Why do good people die young? Why does God answer some prayers and he doesn't answer others according to the way that I think he should? Why do some people have the greatest desire in life to get married and they're still single? Why do some people who get married to promise to love one another crush each other? Why do some couples that want to have kids don't have kids and yet they run into people at church that they bump into them and or they just the couple bumps into each other and they get pregnant every time why 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 i ask a lot of why questions 
I've studied the book of Habakkuk. I've taught you that book. And it's one of those questions I don't ask why, but I ask what or who do you want me to see or what do you want to do in this situation? God, I think maybe on the other side of glory, he answers these why questions. But it's easy to have faith when you're safe and secure and things are good. But when things are not working out as you want, it's difficult, is it not, church? And yet, why have you forsaken me? I've done nothing. I am God because I can't tolerate evil. I can't tolerate sin because I love you. Even if I'll be there, I'll just say this. I'm hoping in a few weeks I've got to share this with the worship team. I'll go ahead and do it publicly. Probably not a good idea. There's a song right now I'm listening to that is ministering to me like no other song right now. It's called Even If by Mercy Me. You ever heard it? Oh, my goodness. I, I can't listen to it without just being troubled and touched and challenged and worshiping the King, and I pray that maybe we'll do it. Just Google it today. Not now. But listen to it, even if. Oh, wow, it's awesome. But my God, give me perspective, Lord. I, I like where Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 9 and 12, he says this. For we know in what, he said, we know in part we shall we now we see but a poor reflection as a mirror and then we shall see him face to face now i know in part then i shall know fully even as i am fully known do you look forward to the day that you know you are known but you know fully do you look forward to the day that you understand completely man i do but now there's a different perspective on this life and maybe i don't maybe god's just using this situation to draw me to him But Lord, I wait on you. These disciples that were there that day when I painted that picture, that portrait of Golgotha there at the hill, can you imagine them? They had dropped their nets. They had sold their businesses. They had quit cheating people with taxes, and they followed Jesus. We have left our homes. We have sold our possessions. We have left our family at the tabernacle. And you're dying, Jesus? You're dying? You're being crucified? We left to follow this? But the story doesn't end there, does it, church? Come back Easter. Oh, I love this. So let's just fill in the outline because I get excited about this. Number one, he became sin for us and, we, and he became our righteousness. There's nothing righteous about you and me, but is everything righteous about Christ. And when Christ covers us by his blood, when Christ robes us in his righteousness, things are good. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did Did you notice that? In him we become the righteousness of God. Not in ourselves, not in our striving, not in our effort, but in the complete holiness, righteousness of Christ himself, we become righteous to God. Secondly, look at it here. Or or let me give you the second verse here. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Very prophetic. Not that Jesus was a curse, but he took the curse of sin on him. And what the scripture says, curse is anything hung on a tree. He hangs on the tree with our curses around him. Isaiah 53, 6. We all 
are like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. Praise be to God. He lays the sin of humanity on, on the Son. Look at the second point. The Father forsook Jesus because he became sin. He was forsaken because of, of sin. I don't, I don't know about you. I, I can't even imagine. What love what incredible love of the father we love because he first loved us god you love me you love my friends deeply in spite of our sin he takes this he's forsook and and and, and he becomes sin for us and i just like lord i don't get this i mean judas Earlier in the gospel story, he, he walks out, he betrays Jesus. Peter, James, and John, they're, doing, they're falling asleep. They're doing crazy stuff. They're not matching it 100% what Jesus wants, and yet he loves him. And he's over there in the garden, and the guys are sleeping. I mean, can you imagine being in a situation, you go, hey, stay here and pray for me, okay? And you come back, and your friends are sleeping. I mean, you think, I need some new friends. Well, Maybe. But Jesus goes, man, these, these are the guys that I'm dying for. These are the guys that I've picked. These are the guys that I've chosen. These are the guys that are carried to carry the gospel. I love that. And Habakkuk, just write down this verse, Habakkuk. Isn't that a great word, Habakkuk? Sounds like chewing tobacco. I, mean, I don't know. Here we go. Here we go. Habakkuk. Habakkuk 1.13. God's eyes are too pure to look on evil. He cannot tolerate wrong. It's an interesting verse from this little prophet. His eyes are too pure. He is too pure to tolerate wrong. His eyes look away, as I keep telling you. Author Pink, a, a commentator, he said this one time, so holy is God that mortal man cannot look upon him and his essential being and live. You remember what Isaiah said one day? Woe is me, I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. Woe is me, I am ruined, for I have beheld the glory of god man isaiah knew what it was to worship a holy god he knew what it was to be in the presence of a holy god and he just goes undone undone write that on your worship god today undone you're undone friend i'm undone and christ makes us whole you're like, wow, man, this is, this is good. So the, the Father's perspective here, and I'm still wondering this question. If you're asking why, 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 why do I hurt? Why do I hurt? Why do I experience this? Why do I go through that? It's because we have limited perspective. So much of that stuff happens that we might be shaped, conformed, that we might long for him, that we might desire him, that we might pursue him. I think much difficulty comes because it drives you and me to the Father's heart. You're like, but why? You see, there's that why question again. It's just the way God's created it. Good times, bad times, in between times, the Lord is to be praised forever and ever. Did the church agree with that? Bless him. I love it. Today, we're going to celebrate the healing power of Jesus. Awesome! Man, that's going to be so fun. I might have two snow cones today. I don't know. No, I'm not. But I'm going to have one. You're saying, man, we're going to celebrate. And that's the goodness of God today on Gideon's life. But sometimes we celebrate tough, difficult situations. 
I just found out about somebody else again this week that had taken their life, had lost hope. And the Lord is to be praised. Here it is, Jesus feels forsaken because he is forsaken. He reminds us of his, of his love. And yet, never before in history had anything ever become between the, the Father and the Son. But now, sin comes between the two. It's Christ takes on my sin, my curse, your curse. My God, my God. Jesus was forsaken. Fill it in third. The Son was forsaken so that you and I might be forgiven. Isn't that awesome? It's not awesome that he was forsaken. It's not awesome that he took his, our sin. But praise be to God, he's the only one that could offer up eternal perpetuation, offering of atonement for our sin. But because he was faithful, because he endured the cross, I get forgiven and you do. And man, that is so good today. I don't have to walk around in guilt and shame and condemnation. I am forgiven by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is my testimony. Is it yours? Christ forgives sins. And man, I go, Lord, they've been forsaken this way to sin. It's placed upon you. And yet, I want you to look at a section because out of this section here in Matthew, there's an earlier psalm. If you open your Bibles, turn over to Psalm 22. Get your devices and go to Psalm 22. That is still weird to me, not seeing all these pages flip. But I hear pages flip. Oh, I love that sound. May it never depart from the church. Okay. And then some of you have your devices, and you're like, oh, pastor, we need faster internet service in here. And I go, get a Bible and bring it. Okay, all right, here we go. You want to know how I feel? I just told you. Okay, here we go. All right. And I like devices. They're cool. I'm preaching with one. But I also got the word right here. Psalm 22. And it's going to come up there. I just had it marked and I just missed it. Here it is. We'll get it again. Look there on the screen with me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Stop. Did we just read that? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer, but by night, but I find no rest. Can anybody identify with this verse? Have you ever felt like you've just been crying out and you don't think God hears? You're in church, you can be honest. I've been there. Father, don't you know? He's like, yeah, boy, I know. I'm sovereign. I, I got it under control. So we, we look here, and yet I, I think about a, a, this psalm, and, and I just look at the beauty of it. Yet, in verse 3, yet you're enthroned as a holy one. You're the praise of Israel, and you, our fathers, put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. And you, they trusted, and they were not disappointed. But I am a worm, not a man. Scorned by men, despised by the people, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults and they shaking their heads. But look, this is hope. Square it off, draw a box around it, highlight it, put lipstick on it, do something to it. And if you're a guy and put lipstick, we got to talk this afternoon. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. The son delighting in the father's love. Because he knows the father's not abandoned him. To the grave he's not abandoned he's still with him so here's two great implications just fill them in with me ready we must never minimize the horror of human sin just I, i've tried to 
portray, I've tried to paint, I've tried to articulate, I've tried to tell you about this incredible Savior's love today. But I don't want to minimize my sin and your sin, and I don't want you to minimize it, I want you to remember Christ. It's like Jesus goes to the cesspool, you got a picture now, of iniquity and endures it and embraces it and takes it up and there's nothing beautiful about that it is ugly it is tarnished it is sinful it is wicked it is uh, it's no laughing matter and look at the second point we must never minimize the awful cost of our salvation i want you not to minimize sin but i don't want you to minimize how great salvation is and that without the cross there's no forgiveness but because of the cross there's forgiveness free there's pardon for those that will come running to christ and and call upon him and and the cross man the cross is not lost the cross was the instrument of god that he redeems our our souls and i'm like god thank you for the cross it takes everything jesus of your life but man are you a perfect blessed redeemer so in the story of c.s lewis Every year you grow, you find me bigger. You know, that's what I hope today, that somehow when we leave here, gospel has gotten into your soul, and Christ is bigger today, right now, than he was when you walked in an hour and some minutes ago. He's just bigger. He's bigger in my heart. I'm looking more at Christ and less at me. I'm looking to a God that rescues. I'm looking to a God who redeems a God that restores. I, I love that about God. He's a restoring God. Have you been restored by God? Has God restored? Are you crying out to the God of heaven? God, restore this relationship. Restore this situation. It's a great prayer. There's a lot of evidence for that in Scripture. But so this morning, I'm, I'm hoping somehow you're just going, wow, I got it. I got it, man. Why have you forsaken me? I hope I told you why. Let's pray. Jesus, it's really good to, to be in here with your kids this morning. And uh, Lord, I pray that we would look for the purity of your presence. Your presence is great, God. And I believe that you love me so much that uh, you gave up Jesus. You abandoned him for salvation. And Lord, you make an amazing promise to sinners and to people that will call upon your name that you will save them and the biblical word has always been repentance repent repent of your sin turn from sin and turn to the lord jesus christ jesus forgive me make me brand new you know that's just a simple prayer but this morning if you're willing to confess acknowledge your sin and your need for a savior and just say lord jesus make me new today Come and cleanse my dirty heart by your blood and be my Savior and my Lord. I give you my heart. Jesus, become everything to me from this day forward. I surrender. I give you my heart completely. I receive you now by faith. If you are willing to do that, man, I ask you to throw your hand up in the, in the heavens. Would anybody make a declaration with their hand? Put your hand up to heaven and say, man, I just gave my heart to Christ. Anybody willing to do that? Hallelujah. Bless you, young man. That's right. Just giving your heart to Christ.
Man, over the next few weeks, I pray you're going to invite people that need to receive Christ, that people that need to get back in with Christ. They've run from the Father. They've run from the church. Man, it's time to come home. I like that, coming home. I always have that question. Can you come home? You can. You can come home to the Father. Lord, you've endured it all. And we bless you this Sunday morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus' name. All right, I think they're out front getting pastries and cake and snow biz ready for your attention. I'm hoping, Robert, that somebody's let them know next door that we ended just a little bit early and kids are going to be coming over to flow. Man, here's the thing, y'all. Two weeks from today, having an Easter photo booth. Hey, wear your little bonnets or whatever. Just dress up, have fun, get your picture taken. And invite people over the next two weeks, just be issuing invitations to come to our church. Hey, this concludes the service now. We're going to go out front and celebrate Gideon.